Normally we'd have three songs and I was waiting for the third one. And then Russ got up. You know, if you've ever been to a concert like my kids would go to, you know, I'm too old for these guys. That has a hype man. They get out there and get the crowd cranked up before you get out there. That was what Russ just did for me, I guess. So uh, I know everybody here and whew, there's a lot of y'all this morning. It's always, well, in my mind, it's not a good thing when you know you're the one that's got to get up there and speak, and before you're speaking, you're having to line up chairs in the back and add rows for all the people coming in. So would you pray for God not to give, to take the nerves from you, to not let you be nervous, and then he starts sending more people in, and you have to line up chairs for those extra people? You kind of wonder if you're supposed to be up here. God, that's not, you know, what I had in mind when I said take away the nerves, not add more chairs. But I know the first thing most people think when they see somebody, see me get up here normally is, hallelujah, we get the hot chicken today. <laughs> well, I got bad news for you. See, I'm not the same man I was the last time I was up here. Because when you pray for God to fill you with his spirit, to move in you, to let you see great things going on, he'll do it. Just to tell you a little bit about how this started, Jeremy came to me, and he's like, all right, March 17th, I don't have any green, so I'll need you to get up there, and I think that week I want you to do it. I said, well, that's okay, because I don't have any green either, not on purpose. But the way my stomach feels right now, there may be some, but um, but he said, and on top of that, I'll be finishing the last series the week before, so you'll be starting a new series. I said, well, that's no pressure either. You know, I can kind of start whatever I want to and hope you follow the next week. But he, he said, you know, we're, we're kind of doing this thing on love and how we see each other. And he said, well, I was thinking maybe we'd do a series on on you know loving ourselves what can we do for ourselves i thought okay well that that should be easy enough but he never sort of he said i don't know what to call it i don't know what we're going to do for the title i don't know what the series is going to be called i said well that's you know not a big deal we can call it loving ourselves it'll be easy enough so we met thursday and we sat down, and I had my notes here that I had written, and I had written three words on the top of the thing that I was calling the sermon. And he looked at it, and he laughed. He said, um, well, just so you'll know, I talked to Danielle Tuesday about making a screenshot that I could put up on the screen. said I wanted it to be kind of just a blurry picture of a person and the three words that I wanted to put on it, I told her to put, who am I? Rick, I want you to read the three words that I wrote on the top of this sermon. What does it say? Who am I? Who am I? That's the three words that I wrote down, and we never talked. When that hits you, when you know that you prayed, and God's moving in your life, and God's moving in a church, and you've got a group of people who are synchronized, who are looking at the same things, who are wanting the same things and needing the same things, y'all's chicken might get cold. 
who am I? I think all of us struggle with this at some point in our lives, or some of us may struggle with it our whole lives. If you think about it, the first thing in the morning you do, you roll out of bed, you have to go in the bathroom, you get in the shower, you want to brush your teeth, you get the sleep out of your eyes. Most of us, the first thing we see somehow is ourselves in a mirror. First thing in the morning, that might be hard for most of us to do. Um, but the problem with that is we may move away from the mirror, but our whole lives, that may be what we see. We're looking at the outside. You know, how do we, how do we see ourselves? I would guess most people in this room, when they look at their self, they find fault somewhere. We're too fat, we're too thin, we're too gray, we have too much hair, not enough hair, we need nicer clothes, we want the nicer jewelry, and to an extent, even the things that we have or don't have become part of who we see ourselves as. You know, I want a nicer car, I want a bigger house, I want to be able to eat at the nicer restaurants. And we get so absorbed with the things that we don't have or the things that we don't see. We can never get over that image of ourselves that we have inside. And it's only on the outside that we're looking. We want to compare ourselves to others. Well, you know, I teach with so-and-so and she's always got it together. Even when it's 100 degrees, she never sweats and her makeup's perfect. I've heard that from somebody that I may or may not live with. Um, you know, I, I don't see how they keep it together or, you know, I go down to the hunting camp with so-and-so and he all, every year he's got the big, the biggest, newest gun. He's got the nicest truck. He's, here I am driving around in a 25-year-old truck that'll barely run and I hope it cranks every morning when I get in it. All those things are what we on earth compare to. What if we look a little deeper? How do we see ourselves on the inside? When we look at ourselves on the inside, do we see a crack in that mirror? We know the things that we've done in the past. We know the things that have happened to us. How do we let those things affect how we see ourselves on the outside by the feelings and emotions that we convey on a daily basis to others? Does it affect our confidence in ourselves? Does it affect our confidence in our relationships? It's through this self-condemnation and this self-loathing that we often let Satan interfere in our lives. When he has control of our feelings, when he has control of our emotions, when he has control of our self-confidence, he has control of us. When we see ourselves as broken, as misguided, as imperfect, blemished, stained, cracked, broken, we lose that confidence as children of God. But it's through that that we need to understand how God sees us. If we look in this Bible, this storybook, this 
these holy words that have been sent from God. We can go to Genesis and we can all the way to Revelation and we see where God, how God looks at us, how God loves us, and how God wants us. Let's start in, in Genesis with the creation. It says in there, when God created light, he said it was good. When he separated the land and the sea, he said it was good. When he made day and night, it was good. When he put animals on the earth and the fish in the sea, he said it was good. But in verse 31, let me back up to 27. In verse 27, it said, He created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created us in his image. It didn't say he created the animals in his image. It didn't say that he breathed his breath into their mouth and created them. He put his breath into our mouth and created us in his image. That tells me I have some value. I was created for a reason. By the way, this you won't find in the Bible. Why did God create Adam first? Because he didn't need anybody telling him how to do it. Anyway, um, <clears throat> that was a free. Yeah, I won't charge you for that one. But now if we go down to verse 31, and it says, He saw all that he had made in man and woman, and he said, It is very good. That is the only time in creation where he went beyond just good, but he called us very good. Now how long did that last? Just a few days until they decided they could go eat an apple or a fruit. So here is the first recorded sin in the Bible from the man that God had just breathed life into, his own breath. And does it say that God instantly struck them down? He instantly scolded them. He dragged them out by the hair and said, what are you doing? No, it says he went looking for them. Knowing they had sinned, knowing they were hiding from him in the garden, he knew where they were at. He could have called them out and brought them right to him. But he went looking for them. Did he go in a mighty roar? Did he go in a storm? No. It says he went walking through the garden in the quiet, calling out for Adam and Eve, wanting to know where they were at. They covered themselves, sewed together fig leaves, trying to cover themselves because they knew. So even after he had you know, said, well, from now on, you'll live in sin, you'll work by the sweat of your brow, you'll toil, you're going to have pains in childbirth. But it also says he then made garments of skin, of animal skin, for them to cover themselves. So even after they had sinned, even after they had done all this wrong and he found them and they still wanted to make excuses, well, she made me do it, well, the devil told me it was okay, and you know how men and women get sometimes, it's never each other's fault. He still made, took the time and the compassion and he made garments of skin to cover themselves. See, it's too often that we want to hide from God or we spend our life looking over our shoulder because we think we're waiting on that lightning bolt from heaven to strike us down that 
God's only mission, only purpose in life is to find us when we sin, to strike us down and make our life, well, for a better word, guilt-stricken, tormented, and feeling that we have that brokenness on the inside. We're not condemned through our whole life because, see, God doesn't want to punish us. He wants to forgive us. There's too, but too often we won't forgive ourselves. His grace is sitting there. His grace is free. His mercy is free. All we have to do is accept it. We don't have to live in that condemnation. Isaiah 43, 25, it says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. It doesn't say that he blots them out for our sake. It doesn't say that he's just forgiven us for our goodness. It says, my own sake. And remembers your sins no more. I, even I, who blots out your sins, remembers your sins no more. So if the one who created us, the one who breathed life in us, the one who forgives us does not remember our sins, why do we hold on to it so long? Why do we hold on to it so tight? We all remember the story of the prodigal son, of how one son goes to his father and says, Father, I need, you know, I want half of my, I want my inheritance right now, which is very odd in those days because most of the time, you know, it comes after they've passed and you, you settle it. But he did. He gave him all of his inheritance. And he went out, where does it say? He went out into the world. He spent it all on lavish living, lavish and wild living. Now, wild living is kind of code word for he liked the ladies. And that's where he wasted a lot of his money and the inheritance that he got. It got to a point that he was so low, if we remember, he had to take a job slopping hogs out in the desert, feeding hogs. And he said, if only I had food enough to eat the pods that I have to feed the pigs. When knowing my servants, knowing my father's servants have more than enough to eat. He had come to his lowest point. He knew he was broken. He knew he was shattered. And he knew that he had wasted all that his father had given him. How many of us have been there? How many of us have felt that everything that God has given us, we've squandered? So he decides to go back home. He makes the decision to go back to his father. He, you know, if only my father will let me be one of his servants or tend to his flocks. But when he goes back, what does the father do? Does the father just sit there under a shade tree thinking, uh-huh, I told him. How many times did I tell him he was going to waste it all and he'd have to come back? Oh, just I can't wait for him to get back. I'm going to rub it in. Did he just sit there in his chair waiting for the son to get there? No. It said as soon as he saw him from a far distance, he ran to him. He ran to his son. 
He put on the best robes. He put a ring on his finger. He killed the fatted calf. They had a party. They had a celebration. For a son who had taken all the inheritance, who had spent it all in wild living, but he was still his son. He was still his child. And he ran to him when he come back to him. For all the wrong that we've done, God doesn't care. Run back to him, ask him for acceptance and forgiveness, and he'll run to you. See, God doesn't need us. God created the earth. God created us. He doesn't need us to do anything for him. He is the almighty, the all-powerful, the all-knowing. He wants us. How big a difference is there between somebody that needs you and somebody that wants you? Somebody who wants you will take you for what you are. And somebody who wants us like God, he desires a relationship with us far more than we desire a relationship with him. Because through him, we can become what he wants us. He gives us the grace because he wants to make us great. Do you ever feel, you know you've been there where you, you're in a place, you're in a situation, you're in a circumstance where you know it wasn't exactly what you were supposed to be doing or where you were supposed to be or even a situation that you probably shouldn't even got in into the first time and you kind of feel that tug on your heart. Or that little guilty feeling, or, you know, some people say somebody's sitting on your shoulder. They call it your conscience. I call it God. I call it the Holy Spirit talking to you. He's always tugging us back to where he wants us to be. He never wants us. I always think about it, you know, when I'm walking around Disney World, and I see these parents that have the kids on a leash. That's what I call it. But they try to, you know, they try to conceal it as a book bag or a backpack. And the kid takes off, and they get out there. It's like a fishing pole get the drag set and then you yank them back in that's how God is he's going to let you go so far and a lot of times he sets the line pretty far out but never think that he's not sitting there trying to reel you back in because all you got to do is quit pulling now if we go to um, 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 4 through 9 It says, as you come to him, the living stone. See, Jesus is the living stone. He's called many names in here in the Bible, but here he's, he's the living stone. He's the one that all things are built upon. It says, he is rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him. Now, that's what the first part of the verse says. It's referring to, to how God feels about Jesus, that he is the chosen one. He is precious to God. But if you look, the very next words in the verse says, in verse 5, it says, you also like living stones. So the way I, you know, I always have to look too deep into stuff sometimes, but it says you also like living stones. Well, if it says right here that I'm also like a living stone, and just the verse right before it says the living stone who was chosen by God and is precious to him, 
That means we're chosen by God and we're precious to him. Now you tell me how somebody who feels so broken, so shattered, so much self-condemnation that they feel they're not worthy to be God's child. It says right here that he's cho- you're chosen by him and you're precious to him. It says you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. A holy priesthood. Holy. That means coming from God. Priesthood. What is a, what is a priesthood? What are we being built into? A priesthood, as simple as I could find it, means it's all believers who are joined together to support all believers and who are called to go out into the world and make believers. So God... He's chosen us as just as the living stone of Jesus. He's chosen by us. We're precious to him. He wants us to go out. We're called to be believers, to support believers, and to make believers. That was verses 4 and verses 5. So in between verse 4 and 5, I don't see a verse that says, you are chosen by God. You're only to serve God if you hadn't sinned too much. You're, served, you're chosen by God. You're precious to God if you didn't do this when you were in college. If you didn't do this when you were married. If you didn't do this. If, if. There's no ifs to our salvation. God didn't choose us if we didn't do this. God chose us and accepted us when we come to him. When we accept our salvation. See, I didn't say when we get our salvation, when we accept our salvation. Because it's there, it's been there before we were ever born. It's been there since he created man. God's given us his authority through Jesus Christ. Think about that. God's authority. As we look through the Bible, how many times think about when they marched around the walls of Jericho? Think about the miracles that have happened in the Bible, the stories of even Daniel in the lion's den. From a simple man, the simple story of a man in a lion's den, one man. to the stories of how God took out cities, Sodom and Gomorrah overnight. How he collapsed the walls of Jericho. A God who can split a sea and allow his people to walk through. He's given authority to us. What kind of power do we possess inside of us? Do you think God would give that kind of authority? So when we start seeing ourselves as God sees us and we quit looking at us on the outside of how we think we are, what does that do to us? 
If you think about in 1 Corinthians where he describes the body of Christ and how all the body parts work together. Here's another example of how we may be, we may look at ourselves and we become, well, I'm not good enough. You know, I can't, I can't get up there and speak. I can't get up here and sing. I'm not talented enough to do that. Well, guess what? I can't sit in a classroom and teach 30 kids. I'll be in jail. I've got four. God blessed me with four. He didn't bless me with other people's 30. So I'm doing good to make it through my four most days. That's not my talent. See, the body of Christ works only when all of us accept the talents that Jesus gave us, that God gave us, the abilities that we have because of him, and quit thinking we're not good enough because that's what God gave us. I'm a lot more comfortable standing up here right now than I would be if one person was sitting in front of me and I had to talk to him. If you want to see awkward, call me to some sit down next to you and have a one-on-one conversation about something that I don't know about. That's not my talent, but I'm working on it because when you feel uncomfortable and you ask God to change you, he's going to put you in those situations. For example, yesterday morning, I got up early. I said, oh, I'm going to work on my sermon. I've been praying to God to get me fired up, not be the same one that has to read his notes, which, by the way, I didn't write out everything this time. I just made an outline for that reason. And I'm sitting there getting ready, and God says, take your Bible and go to Huddle House. Do what? I can cook an egg right here, God. I'm good. Take your Bible and go to Huddle House. Yes, sir. You know, it's kind of like, eh. So I walk into Huddle House, and I find the booth in the back that's farthest from the door that nobody can see me, right? Lady, I put my Bible and start working. Before my food comes out, I got somebody sitting in my booth. I've never met this guy. He sits down. Oh, here we go. You didn't put me here. You know, I don't want to be here. Guess what? He says, it's so good to see somebody reading the scripture and obeying God. God sent me to Huddle House not to be encouragement for somebody else because he knew where I was at and I needed the encouragement of obeying and taking the chance that I was going to have to speak to somebody one-on-one. And I did, but I didn't have to do much of the talking because once he said that, he sat down and he said, what's your favorite scripture? Whew, I said, right now, all I can think of is Jesus wept because I thought you were fixing to sit down and ask me some real hard questions. <laughs> but I told him, I said, it's Isaiah 41, 13 because it says, I, the Lord, your God, will take you by the right hand and I will help you. But we have to reach up and take his hand. So anyway, back to the body of Christ of how if I was sitting up right here right now and my legs were arms, I couldn't walk around and do this talk. If my eyes were all mouths, I couldn't see who I was talking to. I couldn't read my notes. I wouldn't be able to do this. So see, every part of the body has a specific function but it all has to work together to get the job done. So what Christ is calling us is to get over ourselves, accept, us, accept ourselves for what he's made us, 
get up and go do the work. Because once again, my God, my Jesus didn't make any bad body parts. Everybody sitting in this have, sitting in this room has a talent. They have a purpose. They have a purpose that God has given us. So now that we understand what our what we're doing, now let's find the joy in this. God reconciled himself through the world through Christ. He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus for us. For the people that feel like we don't deserve anything, he sent his son. If there was only one person in the world that could have been saved through Jesus dying on the cross, he would have still sent him to die on the cross. He reconciled the world through Christ not counting men's sins against them. We are therefore Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 19 through 20. We are Christ ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. He still wants a relationship with us. He is doing all that he can for us and we must accept it because like I said before, we don't even have to earn it. It's just there for us to take. I've been struggling with this a lot because we all know how we, we've heard you got to get over the religion before you can get to the relationship. Sometimes the religion can get so complicated that you, for, you don't know how to get to the relationship. You know, growing up Southern Baptist, you had a way you had to dress, you had to talk, you had to do this, you had to do that. And the preacher better not go past 12 o'clock, so that wouldn't last here. But, and you're also taught you have to serve humbly. God served, he came as a humble servant. You have to do everything in humility. So much to the point that you get to thinking, well, I can't go out and really do anything that might put me in the spotlight or put me out front or anything that would make me say I because that goes against what God's supposed to, what we're supposed to do for God. We get caught up in the, well, you know, I was this way at one point in my life and too many people know it, so how can I serve, how can I stand up there and say, hey, look what God's done in my life and they're all going to say, well, you remember how he was back when he did this. So we get, we get off track, and, and even when we think we're doing good, or even when we think we're doing what we're supposed to, if we look back, it's, it's the religion, it's not the relationship. So what I'm trying to say in all of this is I've come to focus on the relationship recently. Well, you know, in the last couple of years, I've gotten out of the religion. Because it'll bog you down. When you get caught up into the, you know, I can't do this because of. Well, I can do this because of Christ. I can do this because it says right here, I'm an ambassador for God. And I can get over myself and I can do this. There's a difference in being proud 
and having and being prideful. It would be arrogant for me to stand up here and say, I'm the greatest speaker up here. God's called me. All y'all can just sit back and watch. Or I can say, I'm proud to know that Jesus thinks enough of me that he imparted his Holy Spirit when he ascended into heaven. He gave us the Holy Spirit. He gave us that power, the same power that he has that can move mountains, that can part the Red Sea, that can bring blind men to sight, that can bring lame to walk and the dead to life he put in us. I love that. It didn't, and, I, and before, like I said before, it, there's no ifs, ands, or buts attached to it. It says, only through confessing with your mouth that Jesus Christ is your Savior and you accept him as your Holy Spirit, there you go. It doesn't say, when you complete these classes at the church in six weeks from now, then you'll be able to come in and maybe we'll talk. That's not what it says. We, so in uh, chapters 9 and 10, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Again, a holy nation. A people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him. And here's it, here it is. Of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Here we are again with the light. We know in 1 John, he says, you know, in the beginning there was the light. The light was good. Here's the described as a wonderful light. It says he calls us out of our darkness. It doesn't, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't put qualifiers on what our darkness can be. He calls us out of all of it. He calls us out of all the darkness that we have in our life. He calls us out of all the self-condemnation, out of all the loathing, out of everything that we put on ourselves that we think we're not good enough. He calls us out of. We're all equal in his sight All we have to, once we take that step. So this morning, I just, I just want us to think about it. Think about how much power we can give Satan by accepting those things, accepting those things about us. Sometimes Satan doesn't move in the, in the big things. You know, it's not the, the addictions. It may not be the things that we think. It may simply be I'm not good enough to go serve today. I'm not good enough to do what I know that Jesus is asking me. That's Satan having power over us. story I want to share with you as we get through. In Brazil, it's a story of a, of a young girl. She was 17 years old. Her name was Christina. Christina was a beautiful young girl. She was very smart. She did good in school, but she lived in the rural, rural town in Brazil. She came home every day. She had to go draw water out of the river. At night, she slept in a cot on a bare wood uh, dirt floor, and she wanted more out of life. She was not happy with the position she was put in. She thought she wasn't good enough, thought she could do better. 
So one night she packed up her stuff and she ran away from home. She was headed to the big city of Rio de Janeiro. Like most people in Brazil, they think that's where they're called, that's where the money's to be made. Well, her mother, whose name was Maria, she woke up that morning, she found her gone, found her things gone, and she instantly knew where she was going. So Maria, with the last few dollars that she could scrape up, she went to one of these little photo booths, you know, where you sit in, you put the money, and it prints out the little strips of paper, little pictures. She bought a bus ticket, a little money for some food, and the rest of the money she spent on the pictures. She got on the bus and she went to uh, Rio de Janeiro. The whole time she cried because she knew what was going to happen to her daughter. She was young, she was beautiful, she was innocent, and she was vulnerable. So Maria went to the roughest parts of Rio de Janeiro, to every little seedy hotel, dive bar, convenience store, gas station, where, quite frankly, she knew that the prostitutes were hanging out. In every bathroom she went in, she took one of those little pictures and she put it in the corner of the mirror. In every elevator in all the hotels, she put a little picture in the corner. Same thing in the restaurants, the bars, even some of the hospitals. And when she had ran out of money, she had no more money left to eat. She had enough for one ticket left to go back home. And she still hadn't found her daughter. So in tears, she boards the bus going back to her little village in Brazil without knowing where her daughter was. Four months later, Christina was walking down the stairway of one of those hotels where she had found the bad side of the truth that what she thought was going to happen was not reality. In the corner of the stairwell was one of her mother's pictures. She instantly recognized the face, the picture, and she picked it up, and when she flipped it over, on the back was a simple message. It says, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've become. It doesn't matter. Just come home. See this book right here? This is God's little picture to us. Through all these verses, through everything I've said today, in the end, all it means is doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've become or who you are. Just come home. So this morning, if you've been struggling with who you think you are or what you see on the outside or who you think you've become, it doesn't matter. This right here could be the little stairwell that you need to walk down to see Jesus' face waiting for you down here at the bottom of the stairs. Because I know if you pick up his picture on the back, it's going to say, it doesn't matter. Just come home. Lord, we come to you now. We thank you so much. 
your grace, for your forgiveness, for your mercy. But Lord, most of all, we thank you that you not only forgive our sins, but you forget our sins, Lord. That it doesn't matter what we do. It doesn't matter what we've done in the past or what we may even do in the future, Lord. We know that if we come to you and we ask for your salvation and your forgiveness, Lord, that all we have to do is accept it, Lord, that it's freely given, that you're not sitting there just just waiting, that if we take the first step, Lord, we know that you'll run to us just like the Father did for his son after he came home. We know that you're walking through here quietly right now asking where we are. Come to me, just like you did in the garden with Adam and Eve, Lord. We know that you're not sitting there waiting to strike us down with a lightning bolt, Lord. All you're wanting is that relationship with us. And if we just would come here this morning, Lord, and we would just accept it, that we know our lives would change because you see what's on the inside and not what's on the outside, Lord. We ask that you would continue to work in our lives. We ask that you would continue to let us see the talents and the blessings that you've given us we would understand the authority that we have and the power that you've given through your son. We ask this in Christ's name.